Week four is upon us. It is here already. I know it seems like just yesterday we were talking about who to draft. Now we're already into week four. We got all the matchups in this breakdown over the next two episodes. We're going to do the part one of those matchup breakdowns on this episode. We're going to have some good times. We're going to tell you who to sit and start. All the questions that you need answered right here on the Fantasy Whispers. Right here. That's right. Like Johnny said, we'll be talking the first half of the NFL slate of matchups and all the fantasy football implications of Sunday's games. But if you like that fresh fantasy football content and you want more of it, consider subscribing over on the YouTube channel and give this and our other videos that come out daily a like on your way in. That being said, welcome into the show, Whisper Nation. My name is Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at Big Travi TFW. I am joined by the sultry voice you heard at the intro, Johnny Game Time Hicks. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny underscore Game Time. How are you doing, Johnny? Dude, I can't ever do this thing right. Like Austin, Austin gets it every time, first time. But I'm doing great, boys. Week four is here. Got some more games. I'll be honest. A part of it is like I'm ready to get past game week three. You know, had some bad outings. Uh, and so I just need to get rid of that uh, taste in my mouth. I can't wait till week four starts. Yeah, that'll happen to you. This is a game of ups and downs, of wins and losses. And so we will go to the other host on the mic here, Austin Sear, who you can find on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. What's going on, Austin? How you doing? What's good, man? What's good? I'm all right. It was a tough week. Week three, not as good as week two for me. That's why we're looking ahead to week four, baby. Yeah, we re- we reached that point in the week where you got you the sting from the loss is off of you. Now you have the hope for the next week. Damn, and now we have to try yes. and manage our our sting from the loss with the hope of next week. Yeah. Whisper Nation, although, we're going to try and help you do that this week. What was that what was that, Johnny? I was going to say although Sleeper really makes it a little bit more painful because oh unlike other apps, it you know it stays an extra day on your week behind uh, matchup. So unless you won, you got to look at that again, like the the L for extra longer. I just like I'm like, all right, let's go, let's move on to the next week already. Show me Turn what it page. is. Turn the page. On to Cincinnati. Hey, it's, it's bad for the winners too. We don't want to be sit there looking, getting false confidence at the win too. You right. know, you just want to move on to the next one. Like you know, it's time to prepare. But Whisper Nation, we want to help you prepare, and we want to know if you want to help us continue to grow this channel by heading on over to patreon.com and supporting us. You can show support at the five and $10 levels patron and benefits include access to our exclusive discord channels, entries, to sports card giveaways, increased odds on winning a signed NFL Jersey of your favorite fantasy football players. And then bonus content that's only available to the patrons, including the video, the full video that you might be watching over on patreon.com. If you were to subscribe, All right, gents, we normally do want to start the show off with a question. And so this question for today's show is your favorite all-time fantasy football trade that you completed, whether that would be, I don't imagine it's going to be a negative trade in your favor, but let's talk positive trades in your favor, get you guys back to, to greener pastures. I know you guys both said you had a rough week three. Let's remember the best trade of your life to try and help you get to on to week four. Austin, what about you, buddy? Dude, the only one that comes to mind is the trade you and I made a couple of years back I when I got come back and <laughs> bite me. I, you hit me up for this trade. You proposed me on this one. Yeah. I gave away Tyreek Hill, who was the number one wide receiver at the time. He was booming. It was a, he finished as the wide receiver one, I think. And a couple other backfield pieces. It might have been like Ronald Jones and the other guy who was going on over there. 
at the time uh, for Christian McCaffrey, who hadn't had a touchdown yet, and Julio Jones, who hadn't had a touchdown yet either. Both of them ended up having handfuls of touchdowns second half of the season. Not on your team, but on mine this time. And that has to be my number one trade in 11 years of fantasy football. I remember this happening. I was so mad. I was so yeah. mad at Travis. Yeah, I do. Yeah. We had a show to record, and I like didn't even want to record the show because I was like, yeah. I was like, you just gave Austin the championship. You gave him the champion. He's like, dude, I don't want to hear it. It was a good, it's a good time. I lost in the championship. If anyone yeah. cares to know, yeah, I'm good at that. To be yeah. fair, I was staring down the barrel of like one and six or something. One, you know, two and seven, something like that. And uh, with Patrick Mahomes on my team, and I was just yeah. looking to try and leverage something to get going here, and, and so. And you to know, Tyreek Hill was, and then of course Tyreek Hill got on my team and didn't really finish that strong either. So it was all a combo of of, of nastiness. And, and to be fair, Big Travi usually like when he pulls these moves off, like you do your efforts, you're like, why would you do that? But then it like usually pans out because he knows what he's doing. So oh, he usually gets uh, ahead of me. Like when he when yeah. I traded him uh, Mark Ingram with the Saints. The week before Adrian Peterson got dished, and he gave me Jay Ajay, yeah. who was just a guy, but Mark Ingram <laughs> ended up being a bouse. Yeah, and that yeah Mark Ingram, that was a championship, too. That was a good, yeah, that was a great one. Uh, Johnny, what about you, man? What's your favorite trade of all time? I would probably have to say it was last summer in our Dynasty League when I traded the number one overall pick selection uh, for the or the rights to the number one pick over, overall selection uh, for the number 10 pick and uh, A.J. Brown. Now, I will say I haven't uh, got to play A.J. Brown a whole lot since that trade uh, because he's been often injured, but I will certainly say he's looking better than C.E.H. right now. So uh, very, very happy for that trade. That was like probably one of my favorites. And Johnny. you picked up DeAndre Swift. You moved that 10 yeah. spot up to the three and did some other work. Yeah. Had another valuable a, running back that year. Yeah. Johnny consistently coming after CEH every single show. <laughs> CEH, you're in Johnny's crosshairs. Watch yourself. No, just, All right. We're uh, moving on because I don't want Johnny to have any kind of rebuttal here. And we will start yeah. with the Tennessee <laughs> Titans <laughs> facing the New York. I didn't Jets. have one. Uh, in New York here in Tennessee, regardless of the wide receiver situation, which we will get into, uh, Tennessee favorites on the road by seven and a half points. I'm going to start off here talking about AJ Brown, the injury that he's got. He's got a hamstring deal and he's day or week to week right now, expected to be considered week to week with that strained hamstring that he suffered in week three. We'll need to monitor this, um, but the status does not look good. And then we look at Julio Jones, who Vrabel came out and said, guys, go through games, guys get tight. And I felt like it was in the best interest of our football team that he'd be available in case of emergency only, Vrabel said. So we have a situation here developing. So that caused me to look up a, a gentleman by the name of Nick Westbrook Ekine, I think. Oh, pick He's got him up. You won't. He played nearly 80% of the snaps after A.J. Brown exited last week. He went four for four for 53 yards and a touchdown. Deep flyer on Westbrook, but it feels like this would just be a game where they run the ball with Derrick Henry 40 times, Johnny, because they just con con continue to feed the beast with him. Uh, Austin's talked about the jokes they made last year about putting it on a mask and putting it all over your body. Feed Derrick Henry the ball. How we, how we feel about Derrick Henry, obviously, in this game? Do we think that's where this, this offense is just going to run through continuously? Oh, they are not like 
just touch on Derek Henry, where he stands right now. Currently the RB one on the season through three weeks, he's seen 80 carries so far this season. That's number one in the league. Uh, you know, with the AJ Brown out again, we expect a much heavier run uh, game script there. Gets the Jets this weekend, then the Jags next week. It should continue that Derrick Henry uh, should be the number one running back for the next couple of weeks. The Jets are allowing the six most fantasy points to opposing running backs. My question here for you guys really quick on Derrick Henry. He is we're seeing him get a lot of carries. There's already been some question about, you know, his workload coming into the season. My question is after these next two, uh, you know, because they're juicy matchups, you should see him. You, you're, you're in it. He's in your lineup. You're feasting on those. You're probably going to win. All right. But then after that, he, his schedule starts to really get a little bit more tough. And so I'm wondering if you would at that point maybe try to sell high if you can. Uh, he gets right after Jackson, he gets Buffalo, who is uh, a good pass de- or rush defense. You get Kansas City, who they let up a lot on the on the ground. However, they do funnel because they get up often. Uh, and then Indianapolis, the Rams, New Orleans, uh, both those are one and two in run defenses. So and then it's uh, a little bit tougher as well on the back end. Are you guys yeah. expecting him to be and finish as the RB1? Maybe not or- the RB1, Johnny, but that's not really the point we're getting at here. I think this is more of an indictment on the fantasy football community that we scream and holler that we want bell cows all the time. We want guys that just do it all. And then Derrick Henry comes in here and does it all, and we're like, oh, should we sell high? Should we get out of Derrick Henry? Are we worried about Derrick Henry's usage? No. Let the guy run the rock until he breaks down and he'll break down on, you know, maybe your team or maybe next year. But I don't know why we would be. (laughs) I don't know. know I'm asking you. Is that your predict it? Like, why would we try to predict the fall off? We haven't seen it yet. For me, there's a couple of guys I identify as the storm. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady at the quarterback position. I call him the storm. I would call uh, Tyreek Hill as borderline on that one. He might he might not be. This bracket coverage is showing that you can put actually tall enough levies to guard against Tyreek Hill's storm that he brings. Derrick Henry would be another storm. And what I mean by this analogy is that the defense is the levy, right? And you have really good levies with, with good defenses. But if a levy breaks because the storm is too intense – it doesn't matter to the levy anymore. The levy's gone. Mm. And I see a quarterback like Tom Brady. I see a running back like a Derrick Henry able to be a big enough storm to just break your levy. And it doesn't matter the defense you're going up against. Like these guys are matchup proof. You put them in, you can go load the box. You can take your best linebacker and hit him. He's just better. So it mm. can, it, you know, it doesn't guarantee there's no guarantees in fantasy football, but there's a handful of players I see as the storm. And I'm not concerned by any levy you can put in front of them. Well, there's been a lot of storm injury storm happened to the wide receivers here for Tannehill. And so, Austin, I want to know if we're we're comfortable with Tannehill, even with Julio and A.J. Brown are to miss this game. Really only as a streamer, Travi. And it's a streamer in a game that's honestly not this one, even though they're going up against the number 26th ranked pass defense in the New York Jets. I'll get to that in just a second. Ryan Tannehill through three games has four touchdowns and three interceptions. I don't hate the 33 yards he's averaging on the ground, but honestly, why is Ryan Tannehill at this point that much better than another 
back end QB one slash streamer. Um, he does have respectable stats, metrics. He's in the top half of most of the items we look and care about. Deep passing, quarterback grades, passing under pressure. But he's really not elite in any category. Um, and I don't like him in this game. And it comes to a point that Johnny had actually made somewhat recently. In these games, in rollover matchups, I'll call the Jets a rollover matchup like this. Mm -hmm. You look at it, it's like, oh, he's just going to have his day. He's going to have his way with this defense. The team, I think, is going to have their way with this team, the Jets and this Jets defense. And here's the way it could go down. The Tennessee Titans score first through defense. Derrick Henry scores second. Maybe Jeremy Nichols gets in on a pass catching play. He gets the third. And then Tannehill might get you a, a, a passing touchdown there for their fourth score. But I'm not surprised if the Titans win by two, three, four scores. And Ryan Tannehill only gets one passing touchdown because they were able to score in a diverse set of ways because of how susceptible and vulnerable this New York Jets team and defense is. Absolutely. I think this is a team in, in the Jets, you know, where we want to target them with our offenses against them. Mostly, you know, as in, in this particular situation, we talked about Derrick Henry, but on the offensive side, we don't really want to target anything they've got going on over there for the most part, what I could see. Um, when I looked at this, I think the biggest question coming out of the New York Jets is what we're supposed to do with Corey Davis. He saw double-digit targets last week. Wilson's struggles are really hurting Corey Davis, though, because he's averaging over six yards per catch. Uh, that's not very good at the wide receiver position. We want more than that. We want our guys going deep. We look at Braxton Berrios, who's, whose floor Your finally boy. Fell. Yeah, he finally fell out here for BB here. Uh, back game here, right? Yeah, I absolutely do not think so. I'm not trusting a single pass catcher in New York until we can see Zach Wilson show any signs of reading a defense, completing throws above 55% of his passes, or throwing for more than 250 yards in a game. And he hasn't done any of that so far. And so I guess I think the only thing we could look at in the offense, you know, maybe Austin is the running back position. And are we, you know, looking, is there signs of life here out of Michael Carter? There's signs of life, but not from an applicable fantasy football side. I'm sticking actually with your breakdown, Travis, from week one, and that's move on from Michael Carter and move on from any other Jets backfield pieces. Like, look, I know there's a world where Carter is fantasy and football relevant, but that's not the current world that we're living in right now. I'm going to say the same thing about this Jets running back room that I said about the Jets wide receiver room last year. I can't trust one of these playmakers because I don't trust the team. I don't have faith in first-year coach Robert Sala. I don't have confidence right now in rookie quarterback Zach Wilson out of Brigham Young University. And I just don't have confidence in this New York Jets organization overall. The talent in Carter exists. That's undeniable. We've seen those flashes. But look, he's still in a crowded backfield where fellow halfback Ty Johnson uh, is scoring higher on pro football focuses rushing grade and last week with tevin coleman out carter still didn't break 46 percent snap share i get the urge to flex him but i'm going to be looking other directions for this week and for the foreseeable future if you could trade him great but i think just dropping him is most you're not going to regret dropping him that's i've dropped him and i don't regret it i'll say that We'll drop Michael Carter, and we're going to drop this game like a bad habit. We're moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. There's a 54-and-a-half point over-under. we got the Chiefs favored on the road by nearly eight points. A lot of seven-and-a-half point favorites this week. Uh, if we look at the Kansas City side of the ball, the big the big news out of Kansas City, other than Andy Reid being hop hospitalized after week three, which he is better now, doing good. We wish the best for Andy Reid. Is Josh Gordon getting signed by the offense? And I want to know – uh, Austin, we've seen this story before with Josh Gordon, flash as we like to call him. Can he have any impact, if any, on this offense 
um, that it's going to be usable in fantasy football land. Of, of course he can at some point. Of course. He's still just 30 years old, maybe 30, 31. He's a wide receiver, though. He's a freak of nature. We're talking about Emmanuel Sanders as the hottest waiver wire pickup this week, and he's 34 years old, and he's not built like a Josh Gordon. So, of course he could. Will he? Not right away, and probably not. Here's the case for Josh Gordon. They don't really have a true wide receiver, too, over there in Kansas City. We've wanted it to be Miko Hardman, DeMar Marcus Robinson keeps getting in the way. We, we, we don't have another well, they player. Do. They do. It's His name is Tyree Kill. He's their wide receiver, too. Kelsey's their number one wide receiver. And love that. And, I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean... I mean, maybe in market share for sure, but I don't. I don't know that. If, like talking about the actual wide receiver, like right. I mean, obviously, they're, they're definitely, I, they're definitely hungry for sure. a no, third option. Travis, Travis Kelsey's a monster, and Johnny, we've had these debates on who's the better double dip with Tyreek with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. I allude, I imagine that's a little bit of where that energy is coming from as well on this one. But I would say the wide receiver, the wide. Joke me. The wide receiver to those side has not been grasped. It hasn't been grasped by Michael Hardman. It hasn't been grasped by Demarcus Robinson. And they're looking to fill that side of the field opposite of Tyreek Hill. Josh Gordon was acquired. They went out and they picked him up. And you have to imagine they're hoping for the best. They don't go out and pick up a big name like this to keep him on the practice squad. They'll keep him on the practice squad if that's where he belongs. But they're obviously hoping for more. Do I think he makes an impact, though? I think he makes about as big as an impact as we saw Le'Veon Bell make with the Chiefs last year. Um, he'll be in on the field. He'll get to that point. You'll get really excited about him, but he's not going to leapfrog over those players in Kansas City who have been there for some time, who know Patrick Mahomes, who know the system. Um, the reports are that Gordon's going to start out on the practice squad. There's a lot in that Chiefs offense for him to pick up, and this is coming from a guy who hasn't played since 2019 and hasn't played a full season since 2012. I get the excitement. I'm not rolling with it. I'm not in investing heavily in it if you got an extra waiver wire and there's nobody else you'd like pick him up and hold on to him for a couple of weeks but temper those expectations i see a similar outcome like we saw for Le'Veon bell with the chiefs last year so sticking with the trend of the kansas city chiefs you know leaving you wanting more i think that's what we talk about with ceh i mean last week he did have a pop game he went for over 100 yards on 19 total touches um almost 110 yards two of his next three matchups will be against tough run defenses not just this one is you know um, not this one because Philly is, you know, only they're giving up 20 points per game to the position because they just got wrecked by both Dallas running backs. But before that, they were looking really good. I wonder what's going to happen in this game. Um, he had no fumbles in his rookie year. He's had two of them now back to back games. It's it's really what gives with CEH. I think if you can get one more good at game out of him, then I would potentially look to move from him. There's still the weekly upside. We saw it last week. But I think his new floor is not good in this offense, and I think that's what we're looking at now. Does Josh Gordon come in and some, suddenly miraculously fix all the Chiefs' problems? I don't buy that, uh, similar to what Austin said very very well there with, you know, can we really buy this? Is it going to be more of a Le'Veon Bell-type shift in the offense? That's what I think. I think we know what we have. You know, we talked about Tyreek Hill. And, Johnny, you know, you want to talk about Travis Kelsey in this matchup as being in a smash spot. We know what we get out of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, how excited are you for Kelsey in this one? Oh, I'm really excited for Travis Kelsey. Uh, we saw what Dalton Schultz did uh, last week to this defense. Uh, I expect a big day. Travis Kelsey didn't get in the end zone last week. Expect it this week. I do want to bring up Pat Mahomes. Um, QB2 week one, QB7 week two, QB7 week three. This isn't a great matchup for Pat Mahomes, so you might want to temper your expectations. Highest finish 
This is a little bit surprising. Highest finish that Philadelphia Eagles have given up to opposing quarterback, which uh, would be QB 14. And they played, uh, you know, Matt Ryan, Jimmy G. Okay, not the greatest quarterback, but also Dak. And they held Dak uh, to uh, QB 14 as well. Game so, script got just, a little weird on, on the Cowboys for sure in that one. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would I would temper saying that Pat Mahomes, the Eagles are going to slow down Pat Mahomes. I mean. I guess what's the purpose of saying temper your expectations, you know, or you're not benching him. Uh, right. Know I know, but do? I'm just saying, don't think I don't like maybe shoot one. One might look at this. One might look at this matchup and be like, oh, I'm going to get like, I expect QB one numbers from Pat Mahomes. I, I'm saying don't expect QB one numbers. I expect him to be low, uh, a lower end QB one this week. But you're not benching him. That's the yeah. point. I'm just saying on the temper on the Philadelphia Eagles side of the ball. We'll move on to the pass catchers here, Johnny. And I wanted to know if you could forecast some of these pass catchers for us, because Devonta Smith flashed in week one. We haven't seen much of him since then. We saw a little bit of Goddard last week getting hot. How do we look at these pass catchers and what they're what they're doing over in Philly? I can surely tell you or try to forecast it for you. Uh, if I had to play a guy in this wide receiver group, uh, it would be Devonta Smith. Uh, I'm not necessarily wanting to throw him out there in this matchup uh you know kansas city is giving up the ninth most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers but what's kind of odd about that is it's a little bit misleading misleading excuse me because they're only giving up the 11th uh they're actually giving up the 11th fewest passing yards to opposing wide receivers uh so it's not as great of a matchup as it looks on paper but like i said we're you, you look at the process, you look at what you're looking for, 22% target share for Devonta Smith, uh, 10% of the red zone looks, which is a good amount. Uh, and then Rieger would obviously, um, he'd be a home run hit. So I'm not really looking to get him in your lineup. Last week was the really big blow up spot. He didn't do it. Uh, so uh, I don't think that you want to try to test that this week. I do think this is much more of a tight end game uh, between Goddard and Ertz. Yeah, I do like what I saw out of Ger uh, Goddard. Uh, Gertz, you almost said Gertz, dude. The combination. Uh, I do you like what Gertz I saw it. out of Goddard. I think he's he's definitely a guy that you're locking in right now unless you drafted, you know, Waller or some of these top other guys, you know, Hawkinson. But I don't think you did if you drafted Goddard, you know, based on ADP. So I think Goddard remains in your lineup as a guy you're trusting for now. Austin, wanted to check in on Miles Sanders because this is a guy that had an awesome couple first weeks as far as usage. Yeah. And then we saw some some downtime, some dark times for him on Monday night. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that Sanders just got game scripted and Jalen Hurts out of this game against Dallas week three. Now, a lot of the concern preseason with Miles Sanders was the presumed impact of Kenneth Gainwell. And Gainwell looks solid, but as a backup running back through three games, he's been on the field one part to Sanders is two, 33% snap share there for Kenneth Gainwell, but he isn't involved on third downs and looks impactful in the passing game where Gainwell has just one fewer target than Miles Sanders does. Now, look, this is the first time coaching staff, Nick Sirianni, and they're going to need to step it up from a play calling perspective this week if they're going to stay with Kansas City. Now, look, we haven't also, though, reckoned with the fact that Miles Sanders now plays alongside a mobile quarterback. And through three weeks, Sanders has 30 carries. Jalen Hurts has 26. Week three, though, against the Cowboys, Jalen Hurts outtouched Miles Sanders 9-2. to two. Sanders looks good. I like his role. But the Eagles are kind of a mess right now, Travi, and Miles Sanders is suffering because of it. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point that we'll see why maybe the Eagles had such a short leash on Hertz this whole time is maybe because they realize he can't be the winner they need him to be. Man, for we love him for fantasy football, but maybe he just can't be the all-around quarterback they need him to be. I mean, it's we're only three weeks in, so we'll see how that ends up. But I, I think it's an interesting uh, thing to look at right now. In fantasy, though, Hertz is 20, 20 or more fantasy points in seven of his last games. Uh, he, throw, he threw two picks, sailed a ton of balls, and still walked away with the 11th best QB performance on the week before they threw zero touchdowns and walked away as the 14th best. He continues to put up these 20-plus point games because of the rushing floor. He's matchup proof at this point, guys. You're, you're locking him into your lineups. Even, even if the offense doesn't look great, he still has enough tools in his basket to get it done for you in fantasy, and he's going to go up against this Kansas City team that needs to – you know, well, that will force the Eagles to throw the football. So we'll see how that one pans out. We'll move on to our next game. The Dallas Cowboys are hosting the Carolina Panthers. This is a 50 and a half point over under. We've got Dallas favored by five in Jerry World. Johnny, we're getting a lot of chatter and a lot of questions on our confidence in Chuba Hubbard this week, who you probably went to the waiver wire to replace, or you had him as the CMC owner. Where is your confidence level in Chuba Hubbard this week? So if you jumped on the live stream, uh, you know, on our channel, when we did uh, the Thursday night matchup, I kind of hinted at this and it was a little bit of a surprise to me as well. Listen, you're going to get him out there. You're going to play him because you picked him up and you want to play him uh, while CMC is out. But I do want to say you might want to temper your expectations just a little bit because Dallas, although they look great on paper, we know what they look like last year are a completely different de defense this year. They have actually looked surprisingly good. And Dallas, when you look at this matchup, surprisingly enough, allowing the six fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs right now, fourth fewest rushing yards to opposing running backs this season with 149. And they've given up uh, the on the on the opposite side of that. While I do think you are still going to be rolling him out there, is because he uh, it's, Dallas has actually given up 172 yards to the passing work of the running back, which I do think Chuba Hubbard will get. Uh, you saw him get seven targets this season, five in uh, the week where CMC went down. They used him in the passing game during the preseason as well. So I have a lot of confidence that he'll see that work. Um, and, and you never know. He could get into the end zone. You got to cross your fingers and hope that he does. But I will say Dallas has yet to give up a touchdown to opposing running back so far this season. So once again, you're rolling him out there as a flex play, but he does have some upside. Uh, he does have some upside RB1 potential if he can get in the end zone, but don't bank on it. The revival of Sam Darnold is the other big storyline with the Carolina Panthers, and that puts him firmly on the streaming radar against this Dallas team, who you figure they'll have to throw against. So Austin, is 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 Sam Darnold more of a stream of the week than he is just a basic streamer? I really like him this week, Travis. Um, I might be hanging on to a bit of nostalgia. I'll preface it with that. But I just can't get on board with this Dallas defense the way that Johnny is. Dan Quinn, former Falcons head coach, Mike McCarthy. We saw the work he did with our Packers, Travis, for so long. I see how well the Dallas defense is performing through the first three weeks. I know how well they retooled it. I just can't buy into that this week as a shutdown defensive squad. And I do like Sam Darnold this week. We'll see how true that take 
holds up through the weekend. But Sam's got over 20 points in all three games this year, breaking 300 yards twice. I like that. And this looks to be a true reset as offensive coordinator Joe Brady suggested. I like the little segment they had on him Thursday night last week where he said, we wanted a full reset for Sam Darnold the same way. Joe Brady wanted a full reset for Joe Burrow after coming from Ohio State over to LSU. Really wanted to get a fresh start without expectations on the young quarterback's shoulders. And that looks like he's pulled it off. Joe Brady did for Sam Darnold there over in Carolina because we didn't hear a lot about Sam Darnold, but he's currently the quarterback 13. High-end QB2, back-end QB1. I think he climbs a little bit more into that ladder as the season progresses and his familiarity with these systems and options continues to grow. I like him this week. I like him. He's going to have to keep playing. He's going to have to keep throwing the ball. We'll just see how good that Dallas defense really is. But I think Sam Darnold is looking like who we hoped he might have been coming out of USC. I like what we're looking at. One of my favorite uh, post week three stats. Kyler Murray has three rushing touchdowns. You know who else does? Sam Darnold. That's right. Sam Darnold is equal to Kyler Murray in fantasy. Book it here. No, I love I loved the the memes that were just coming out and roasting Adam Gase about it. It was like, finally, people are really starting to open their eyes and be like, yo, this is not just a mistake that happened once, twice, like a billion times in his career. Did you see the other stats on there of all the success any yes. team he's yeah. ever been on his yeah, hat, including his, his high school, school team? Yeah, his high school and team. then left, dude. And then he left and they all won the championship and stuff. It's wild. It's so there so we go. Low. Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers Super Bowl bound here. We'll see. Hey. But part of the reason why we like Sam Darnold coming into the year was because of the supporting cast. And we talked about CMC in the running game. But DJ Moore is doing something special over there right now in Carolina. He is finally dominating and getting the alpha treatment that we, that he deserves. Moore's target market share of 30% is dominating the Panthers. Closest to him is CMC with 20%. He's eighth in the NFL in targets, eighth in PFF receiving grade. No other Carolina wide receiver is in the top 50 in PFF's receiving grade. And so for me, it's like it's more and pretty much everyone else. Is it time to move on from Robbie Anderson? Yeah, I've told people on Twitter and in, in their DMs, you can drop Robbie Anderson at this point. Um, he'll, no game over three catches or 60 yards. You know, I could see maybe one more week, you know, see with that target distrib- distribution with CMC out, but I'm not holding my breath. And Terrace Marshall, same thing, not being used as we thought, not really a redraft option at this point. I think you're firing up DJ Moore, and I don't know that until further notice anything else is really, uh, you know, revealing itself in the passing game for the Carolina Panthers. On the Dallas side of the football, we've got to took, take a look at this backfield because, Johnny, we have the, the highest PFF-graded rusher in all of fantasy or in all of football is Tony Pollard. And yet Zeke had a monster game on Monday night. How are we at with this? You know, can we start both? Because if you started Pollard, we suggested that. You're only netted about five points in fantasy last week. So where are we at with the dual back system in Dallas? It's going to continue to be a somewhat dual back system until uh, they get, you know, all of their wide receiver pieces back. I do think Pollard will continue to be a little bit more involved or if they get up, you know, game script wise, you might see some carries. But again, people were hitting that panic button on Ezekiel Elliott last week because Tony Pollard does look good, but you shouldn't. He's still getting 71.4% of the snap share. He's seen 19 plus touches in the last two weeks. So to me, he's just as safe as he's he was when you drafted him. People are just, you know, a little bit worried because of what they saw, you know, on some plays from Pollard. And Pollard did look good. 
know, but this happens from time to time. I do think on uh, on a, a different matchup, you could still start Pollard, but not this week because check this out. Don't look now, guys. But Carolina is the number one rushing defense in the league right now. They have only allowed a total. This is where I, I mixed up my Dallas and uh, and the Carolina defense here. Uh, Carolina has only allowed a total of 148 yards total to opposing running backs. And you might say, well, they played the Jets and they had Houston in there. Well, Houston actually uh, has been fairly competent at the running back position. They held them down. Uh, they also one of those running backs in there, Alvin Kamara, held him to a very bad day. So I'm just uh, letting you know that this is this is going to be a difficult matchup here. Uh, that you know, Carolina is no slouch uh, as far as uh, defensive rushing goes, but you're still getting Zeke out there. He'll still get the receiving work and whatnot. Maybe that forces Dallas to go a little bit more heavy on Dak, and I know Dak owners mm-hmm. are probably going to be really wanting that because right now I, I had to ask Austin if he's still locked in with no hesitation in your lineup after two bad weeks. Bro, I'm legit shocked to see the two and one Dallas Cowboys who have looked to hold on to that potent offensive reputation that we become accustomed to have Dak currently as the quarterback 18. Yeah, and it's not looking like anything super funky has happened in these first three weeks either. There haven't been any injuries. There haven't been any other like wild outlier performances such as Aaron Rodgers versus the Saints week one. Like, look, week two was a dud, but they won that game. Dallas did. And I love the three touchdowns we saw from Dak on Monday night against the Eagles, minus that one touchdown that cost me the listener league game by one point. But great showing nonetheless. Only 238 passing yards, though, in that game as the run game looks to be more balanced and that defense has stepped up early on in this season. Now, look, Dak is fully capable of being the Dak we saw last year. I think he looks really, really good. If you're a Dallas fan, you are stoked. But this Dallas offense does look to have some more balance to it. And if that Dallas defense, as Johnny has just spoken to, is legit or even just a little bit better than it was last year, that's going to really curb his ceiling. It's not just his ability last season that produced all of those great fantasy days before he got hurt. It was that porous Dallas defense and that secondary that required Dak to keep throwing the ball for over 400 yards every single game. I'm not sure we're looking at the same ingredients in Dallas in 2021 that when whipped together are going to create a top three quarterback like they did last season, Travis. And you're talking about some bacon or whipping stuff together. It's getting me a little hungry here. And I know that we're a little bit hungry for CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper to get going as they did in week one because they've had back-to-back games to kind of have us scratching our heads here, similar to the Dak take that Austin was talking about here. Maybe it's just a different team. Let's take a look at Cooper, who has 24% of the market share. Since he exploded in week one, he has less than 60 yards combined in the last two weeks. He's hovering right around at eight yards per reception. His 7.3 yards per target, much lower than last year's eight. So we're seeing maybe a different offense right now to Austin's suggestion. 23% market share for CeeDee Lamb. He is PFF's 16th highest graded wide receiver. He's clearly being used as the deep threat in this offense. He has an average depth of target of 10.38. That leads the team. So PFF marks the cornerback matchup for both of our wide receivers in Dallas here is good. I think we have to continue to trust the volume and the offense of both wide receivers because 
upwards of 23% of market share on any other team, we, we would be trusting them no matter what, too. We also know the ceiling that this team can get. So I think we continue to roll them out there. Obviously, if you have elite wide receiving options behind Cooper, you might want to look at, at starting them over Cooper. But I like Cooper. I like CD in this matchup. I want to talk a little bit about Dalton Schultz here, Johnny's boy on our Monday night stream. 14% of the market share now through three weeks. Two touchdowns last week ballooned him all the way up to the tight end five numbers on the year. Carolina, though, in three games have surrendered no touchdowns to the, the tight end position and just over 100 yards to all of them combined. Tough spot for Schultz this week. We've got Shaq Thompson on him, and he's allowing just a 57% catch rate. I'd actually consider benching Schultz here. I know you probably picked him up on waivers. Maybe you have another option you want to roll with. Maybe you have a struggling Tunyon. You might want to go with the Tunyon here in this matchup, um, and, and I would kind of pump the brakes a little bit on Schultz for this game. Moving on to our next game, boys, we got the New Orleans Saints, and they are hosting the New York football Giants in New Orleans. This is a 43-and-a-half point over-under with the Saints favored by eight at home. We obviously want to talk about Saquon, and we'll let Johnny jump into that. But, Austin, before I do, are, is there any other Giant that we can get behind trusting here? Because right now it just looks to be like a deserted wasteland beyond Saquon. Trusting? No. I'm still probably this week going to start Kenny Galladay based on name value and opportunity alone. But shit, man, week three, Kenny Galladay should have popped going up against Atlanta's secondary and his fellow wide receiver Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton going down. But Galladay saw his lowest snap percentage of the season at 69. Nice percent. Only 64 yards on five targets, four receptions a disappointing and surprising day Galladay hasn't broken 65 yards or four receptions yet and I think this team might just have gotten a little bit broken brain with the injuries to the offense and the lack of full strength in their other playmakers in Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay they're plugging in Kadarius Tony and a bunch of other wide receivers that we've literally never spoken their name in the last 12 months I just don't know how a team we're already on the fence about is going to have any semblance of playing competent football and that makes it really difficult to predict even if it's obvious who should be getting the ball yeah it's pretty obvious that we you know, want to look at uh, Saquon Barkley. We're starting him most likely, Johnny, but he had a bounce back in usage last week and right in time for this brutal matchup against the Saints. Yeah, he did have a nice bounce back week. We did say it was like a buy opportunity last week. The next buy opportunity for you for Saquon Barkley is going to be after week seven. That's when you're going to want to attack him or try to acquire him in a uh, trade New Orleans this this weekend, not a great matchup. New Orleans giving up the third fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs. But again, you probably don't have any kind of better option at the running back position. If you drafted Saquon, uh, you like to see the, uh, the usage continue to uptick, right? Three consecutive games with a higher snap share. 83.1% uh, was his uh, latest one. Uh, he had 82 uh, last week. So you like where that snap share is at. He did get 22 touches last week, which is the most he's seen all season. Hopefully that kind of usage will continue. He won't see, uh, uh, you know, uh, any kind of back resetting uh, for that injury. But as far as the schedule comes up in the next couple of weeks, it's very difficult. And that offensive line, as we know, is very, very bad. Uh, so I would expect a couple of down weeks from Saquon and then I would try to acquire him uh, because then it opens up and and you could get some real nice return from Saquon. 
Austin, are you, you've had Saquon in a few rosters over the last few years, yeah. and then we're seeing him in this shift right now. I, I, we talk about selling high all the time. Would we sell on, on Saquon's usage last week to try and get out, knowing that upcoming schedule, as Johnny talked about? It'd be tough for me to get rid of Saquon Barkley if I drafted him in the first round and then I saw him perform well. I would want some of that on my own squad. You have an emotional connection to your first round player, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just what it is. And Saquon is a... People have bonds to Saquon because he is such an incredibly explosive and impressive player when he gets to do his thing. And you're just hoping that he's going to do his thing. So I think you go internal and you ask yourself if you think his improvement and his health recovery from the injury is still on the up. And if it, if you think it is, I would just ride him out. I'd be like, this guy is elite. He's so much fun. He's so explosive. But if you're not really like a Giants fan, if you're really just, if you drafted Saquon because he was the best available player to you, then yeah, I would go ahead and look at, try to find somebody who does have an emotional attachment to Saquon Barkley, because I guarantee you someone in your league does. Find the person who drafted him the, his rookie season and go and try to make a deal with that person for Saquon Barkley. You can probably get a primo price. Like, like rest of the season. I think he's an RB2, probably. Rest Gibson, the Gibson or Saquon? Take Gibson. I would too. Taking the offense uh, with Gibson. Yeah, I would. But if too. they're on the okay. same, they're on the same team. I might go stay one. Right. Well, I'm not. No, we're talking about fantasy purposes here because I I do think that you could trade right now Saquon for Gibson. Uh, what about uh, Jonathan Taylor? Would you rather have Jonathan Taylor or Saquon? That one's a lot closer Ooh. for me just because of Naheem Hines' existence and Carson Wentz's health. I think I would probably lean with Saquon's usage over Jonathan Taylor. I think I would. Okay. Austin awesome. Taylor. I think yeah, I want I would, Jonathan Taylor I just because I have Jonathan more faith. Taylor. I have more faith in that offense coming together in Indianapolis more than I do of New York's coming together. Yeah. And so I, I do, and I agree with Austin on that one. I think both of those, you could get both of those running backs and probably a little bit thrown in because Saquon's coming off of this and the usage. Yep. You could probably get uh, one of those two running backs and like a piece, maybe and a Cordero Patterson or like and some kind of chip in uh and and i think that if i could do that henry Ruggs, i would yeah henry exactly uh then i do something like that uh where i would get out from under saquon we're gonna get out from under the giants awful offense and move over to the new orleans saints and talk about well maybe even another awful offense but a little bit better than the giants and that's because they are led by the man the myth the legend Jameis winston austin who we want to know if we can start this week as a streamer against this bad giants team yeah, I would this week. And you know I can't stand Jameis Winston as a human, and I've never put him on my fantasy team, but I would consider starting him this week if that was if I didn't have a better option available, which is always the storyline. I guess I'm saying I think Jameis Winston is a pretty good option this week going up against the New York Giants. And their 14th-ranked pass defense, I think it's just going to stay viable enough of a game that Jameis is going to have to throw, but I think it's weak enough at defense where he's going to have success. I was concerned about Taysom Hill being involved last week, and Taysom Hill was involved last week on 53% of the snaps, but he was a pure runner, Travis, with only with six carries for 32 yards and that touchdown. Jameis is the passer in New Orleans. He didn't play great against New England, but it was a massive improvement over week two. I think New York is going to stay standing, as I mentioned, just long enough for Winston to have to play. I'm not intimidated by this New York Giants pass defense, even if their secondary is ranked in the top half. Um, that makes me feel pretty good about plugging in Jameis week four. So, again, we were kind of asking this on the Thursday matchup show. I'll, I'll just kind of break it down, uh, Johnny, for you. Sam Darnold or Jameis Winston? I'm going Sam Darnold. I'm not playing Winston this week. 
Joe Burrow or Jameis Winston? I would go Joe Burrow. Okay. So that that's kind of the that's kind of where we're at with. What about Justin Fields or Jameis Winston? I'm going Justin Fields. You'd play Justin Fields over Jameis yes. Winston? Yes. Wow. And I'll tell you why. I'll here's why. I'll tell you. Because you know, and, and, and I'll segue here. I'll segue into Callaway because uh, some people might be looking at Callaway and saying, oh, do I start him here? He finally kind of showed up last last week. And I said no, because the Giants are giving up the 10th fewest yards to opposing uh, wide receivers right now. Callaway hasn't seen a snap share above 67% this whole entire season. That's the ma- the max amount of routes that he's ran in a game, 17 that is that like, for example, Rondell Moore, who plays on like 35% of the team snaps, pl- runs more routes per game than 17. And not only that, but Callaway gets Bradbury, who has been who has locked up every wide receiver he's seen so far, except for Terry McLaurin, because Terry McLaurin's a different kind of animal. So I am not playing Callaway, but this is where it gets where Jameis Winston. Let me, this is going to blow your mind. Okay. Jameis Winston has yet to throw for 387 yards, uh, throw for more than eight, 387 yards this whole entire season. Like that's his total for this whole entire season is 387 passing yards. Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Brissett, who we all like joke about and say how bad he is in one game against a way better defense and 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 the and the and the Raiders has th- three, he threw for 384 yards in one game. And Winston has thrown, huh? How about the touchdowns? Oh, touchdowns! Touchdowns are fluky. You can never, you can never uh, dictate touchdowns. You can't like just because he's thrown for more touchdowns. I it, like, I, I'm telling you, like, I'll take you Brissett can, you can over. Kinda, I'll take Brissett the, over Winston this week. I'll take Brissett over Winston this week. I'll put a little friendly wager on that one. Oh, there you. we go. Now we're talking. Oh yeah, let's do it. All right, so we've got the 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 you know we'll figure out the bet here, but for sure yeah. we're going Brissette uh, for Austin. Or I'm sorry, uh, Winston for Austin, Brissette for Johnny. I That's hate betting one. on Jameis Winston, <laughs> <laughs> but I I just, I just you can't. Okay, and here's my take on Jameis Winston because I think Jameis Winston. I don't think he's a wise play caller. I don't think he has tremendous vision. I don't think he's. I think he's got a lot of holes in his game. With that said, he plays for Sean Payton, and the Saints are a really complete team. And they can go ahead and game plan and discipline play their way into a strong victory. And to Johnny's point on the lack of yards from Jameis Winston, totally true. And having 148 passing yards week one and five passing touchdowns is the kind of weird stuff a Sean Payton-led offense can produce. And going up against a bad New York Giants football team, I'm not surprised if you end up seeing something weird again where it's like 210 yards out of Jameis Winston with three passing touchdowns touchdowns and one rushing touchdown it's just it's just that kind of game i'm also not surprised their if it's defense like defense isn't that bad like the the they're not the giants defense they're but you I, you keep discrediting them even though they're shutting down teams like they've they've literally their only one wide receiver has ever gone off against them this this year how did, how that did they been, shut down T- tyler heineke his first his they, first start this season he, they should, they, they, that was, first of all, it was a, a week one. They had no one really had any game tape on him. And two, week one for Heineke, week one for Heineke. And two, they didn't like it was, it was, it was just Heineke and Terry McLaurin. They like, he didn't do anything to anybody else. This is like Logan Thomas didn't do anything. It's an interesting take to get here and, and muddled with. And we, we have to move on because the show demands it. But 
we have to talk about New Orleans because they were a team that we wanted to target for weapons-wise. They were a team we wanted to target for fantasy football purposes coming in. And right now they're sitting at dead last in pass attempts. And we saw a week last week where Alvin Kamara saw his career high in carries in 24. I think we know kind of what the Saints want to do. They want to play to their strength, which this year is not their offense. It seems to be their defense. And I think they want to play to the strength of their defense and they want to run the football with with Kamara and, you know, maybe some Tony Jones sprinkled in. We look at Kamara two out of three weeks with 18 or more fantasy points, 24 carries last week. He's definitely going to be your RB1. He's going to face a top 10 exploitable matchup in, in the New York Giants this week. And I think that's where we're targeting our guys. And it'll be interesting to see how this offense, like I said, dead last in pass attempts progresses as the years go on. Because this is something, maybe that's what Sean Payton saw out of Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. Dude, the guy was chucking it all the time. That's why yeah. he threw so many interceptions. Maybe I have to limit his opportunities on the offensive side of the football. And to you know, to Austin's point, maybe there are going to be exploitable matchups where he, he can be efficient if that's the case. I don't know what this one will end up being. I, I, I think I tend to side with Johnny on guys. I, I don't know if I'm starting Brissett or Winston. I, w- I, would not, I would not start either of those guys. But I think that's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting one to kind of to, to pilfer through. Want to talk to Whisper Nation about underdog fantasy. Underdog fantasy is the best and easiest play to play fantasy football for big cash prizes. They have player prop bets like over-under on touchdowns, receiving yardage, rushing totals, and so much more. We will be helping you build a few bet slips each week. And when you go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, they are giving you $10 free when you use the promo code TFW. That is underdogfantasy.com or download the app and use the promo code TFW for 10 bucks of free money. That's TFW for $10. All right, moving on to the next game, guys. We've got the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Cleveland Browns in a 53-point over-under. We have got Cleveland favored by two on the road here. We go to the Cleveland side of the ball. We know what they want to do. They want to run the football. They want to pound the rock with their two stud running backs. Is that right, Austin? Yeah, that's right. And Hunt outdid the backfield in week three leading up to the leading the day with over 20 fantasy points compared to Chubb's eight and a half. This might have felt like a strange day if you're just looking at the box score, but it really was not out of the realm of expectations. And this backfield is breaking down exactly as we expected it to and exactly as Johnny specifically has mentioned time and time again. Chubb is the one, a very good one, and Cream Hunt is the two, a very good two. I talked about last week how Hunt's targets were going to come up, and they did. We saw that on Sunday where Hunt pulled in six of his seven targets for 74 yards. He was also really efficient on the ground, as he usually is, taking his 10 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. But Chubb carried the rock 20 two times man that doesn't happen that often in modern football more than double kareem hunts 10 getting 22 carries in the nfl as we know is rare chubbs role is locked in and he's going to have better games ahead hunt will also have really good games but chubb is the one hunt is the two really high upside too but still the two don't be concerned by Demetric felton's goal line vulch in week two they get that like one time a year about seven eight percent Uh, market share there for that third halfback, whoever it might be. Well, we know that the team starts and ends with the running game, but they did get their big time wide receiver back in OBJ last week. We saw Odell Beckham Jr. Get nine targets, even a rushing temp for over 10 yards was used early and often. 
The lack of volume will make him more of a flex than a wide receiver too most week. This week's cornerback matchup per PFF ranks as average for OBJ. So we like this spot, especially with the 52 point over under. Um, we look at the Donovan's Peoples Jones was making a lot of news on Twitter because he had two catches, but they were fantastic catches. They were boundary toe tap, toe drag swag catches, um, but he's yet to hit over three catches or 40 yards in any game so far. So not a lot in the passing game beyond OBJ. This team is a run first team, no doubt about it. OBJ will be schemed opportunities, though. He belongs on the wide receiver two slash three uh, borderline in this 52 point over under. Speaking of the passing game, Johnny, we've seen Austin Hooper make some splashes this year. Even David Njoku. How are we feeling about the tight ends? Are we putting on any of them here? We are not uh, simply for the fact you just you just talked about, right? David Njoku also involved. Uh, Brown's tight ends have caught a touchdown uh, for you know Austin Hooper did, uh, but they just continue to split time. Uh, and this means that Hooper is only running on passing routes on half of the Browns passing plays. So you don't like to see your tight ends doing that. You want your tight ends running routes uh, all the time when they are out on the field, especially if you're only splitting, if you're splitting time as well. Uh, it is not a good correlation. You want to follow what the analytics are showing or pointing to. And uh, they're not looking good. He currently ranks 31st in routes ran for a tight end. He could be dropped if necessary, uh, but I and I don't know if you're going to necessarily be able to predict when to start him because of there also being another tight end involved. On the other side of the football, we have the Minnesota Vikings, who Kirk Cousins continues to just shred defenses um, and post great fantasy numbers, and partly because he just has such good weapons. Austin, can can we count on Kirk to be this good? all year and, and and more specifically this week yeah why not man we talked last week about how kirk has been a top 10 quarterback three times already in his career uh been a top six twice and a top five quarterback there too uh 2021 kirk has three games thus far above 25 points in six point passing touchdown leagues and he's done this before a, a stretch of three games scoring that high but he's never done it four straight um so uh -oh. we'll see against this cleveland pass defense that's currently ranked 12th but i think a lot of us are expecting a, an uptick in defensive production from that unit i think he has his uh a lower week this season but i'm not surprised um if he begins to to start getting really comfortable in that back end QB one side of it all. He's got really nice weapons. He's got really nice familiarity in the offense. And here's the big kicker for me of why I'm actually excited about Kirk cousins. We talked a little bit about the offensive coordinator, their first year play caller and Clint Kubiak running the show for the first time. You got a young son of a NFL legend. And I think you just got a, a a situation where the guy wants to have some fun, improve himself maybe a little bit. And I'm going to keep throwing the ball to Adam Thielen. I'm going to keep throwing the ball to Justin Jefferson. I'm going to keep getting my other talented wide receivers and the running backs, either it's Madison or Cook involved. I want to score points. I want to see it pop. Um, I'm not surprised that Minnesota keeps up its um, top 10 pass attempts per game status. And I think Kirk is good to benefit from that kind of opportunity. Johnny, on uh, this used to be a team where you just knew was going to be run heavy. Now, as Austin said, top 10 in pass attempts right now. They continue to throw the football. But Madison still and Cook still having great days. Madison last week looked like, uh, you know, maybe the best handcuff in the league. He's going to face a tougher test this week if he has to go. Where do you peg him, you know, in your rankings this week? Where would you have him? Yeah, the big question you asked question or the big question you asked, Big Travi, was is Madison the best handcuff in the league? And the answer is no. He's not. It is still Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is the best handcuff in the league right now. 
He is the number one you want. Now, I will say with that, Madison is probably number two. Okay. Madison is very good. He is a very good running back. But we also have been burnt as well from Madison, uh, dating back a, a couple of years when we, even last year, when he got the start and he was a huge dud when he had a good matchup. That's what I want to say is they played, let's remind ourselves, like they played Seattle. Seattle can't stop a nosebleed at the running back position uh, if it was like the last dying wish of their grandmother. Okay, like they let everyone like I I could go back there, big Travi, Austin, and we could get, you know, a a hundred yards rushing on on Seattle's defense. That's how bad they are. Okay, so with that being said, this matchup this week, much more difficult, hopefully. Dalvin will be able to go, uh, you know, and or if you uh, want him to rest another week and you do have Madison, then, you know, hopefully sits then, you know, gets a little bit better. You're still going to run Madison out there. okay? you're still going to put him in your lineup if he's the only running back. However, temporary expectations, fourth fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs uh, in this matchup. So it could be a uh, temporary expectations kind of RB2 kind of day as opposed to the high-end RB1 that he finished last week. Some of the things we know about Minnesota are the two stud wide receivers, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. We look at these guys, 24% of the market share for Thielen, four red zone targets. He is on pace now for 23 touchdowns this season. Minnesota is throwing at the seventh highest rate in the NFL. Their must starts, right? Justin Jefferson as well, 25% of the market share, six red zone targets. That leads the team. We know what we're doing with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. But the questions were coming in about K.J. Osborne and then last week about Tyler Conklin. We look at Conklin's performance last week. Now now he's tied with K.J. Osborne at 13% market share apiece. But I did a little digging for this matchup because we do have a high over-under, and we want to know is there a third option that we'll be able to predict each week with the passing attack, especially if they're going to throw this much. But we look at both PFF's matchups for Conklin and Osborne. We look at Conklin, who will go up against the linebacker for Cleveland, who I can't pronounce his name at all, but I'll try. Awusu Karomama. I think (laughs) and and uh, Osborne himself is going to go against the slot cornerback Troy Hill both are below average matchups rated by PFF meaning not good for either and I see this as a big Thielen and Justin Jefferson game I would not be trusting Osborne or Conklin just yet Um, again 13% market share but it looks like they're trading off weeks that that pops so that's how I would approach the the Minnesota third the tertiary piece there on the next game the Chicago Bears host the Detroit Lions in a 42 and a half point over under Chicago favored by three at home here. Only Chicago could be favored over Detroit. And here we go. We start with the Detroit side of the ball and Johnny, I guess it's time to just give you this victory lap on Deandre Swift. And, but really we know we're starting Swift and and talk to me a little bit about Williams being worth a start because he is a top 12 running back in fantasy right now. Yeah, he is Uh, Detroit averaging uh, or, or they're giving let me just, oh my goodness, where am I going with this? You got me. So I was, I know I was so excited. I was about to get in my swift, but then you, you threw in the curveball at the last second about the, yeah, can't you give you everything? You know? Jamal. Uh, and so it, it tripped me up. Listen, Jamal, like you said, surprising a lot of people, this, this running back backfield tandem is really getting the job done. And Jamal continues to be a flex play each and every single week. If you need them in your lineup uh, this weekend, Chicago going as the 14th most rushing yards to uh, per game this season. Uh, Chicago giving up the ninth most rushing yards to running backs this season. 
15th most fantasy opposing to uh, two opposing running backs. So I'm getting Swift 100% in my lineup. We, we you know, he's an RB1 right now, and it's not going to change. Like the dude is a rock solid running back. Jamal will continue to get enough work, and they are good enough in Detroit at running the ball behind that offensive line and need to in order to stay in these games to make it close against Baltimore, to make it close uh, against, uh, I was about to say Green Bay, but they didn't make it close against Green Bay. Uh, Make it close against the 49ers. They have to utilize this running back. So uh, definitely continue to start Swift, get Williams in your flex. If you're the opposing defense, Austin, and you saw what Baltimore did to TJ Hawkinson, I imagine you're going to try and do that again each and every week because Hawkinson ended up with one point in fantasy. How are we as fantasy managers feeling about a guy who we were clamoring as top three and then had this down game? Uh, Where are we at with TJ? I don't feel great about it, man. But (laughs) But he's still the number three tight end. After that Dudley, even after one there. game or one point, yeah, e- even yeah. after that one point, he's still the number three. Kelsey is so far number one, though. You know what I mean? And then there's Gronk, and then it's Kelsey, and then it's a uh, Hawkinson. Excuse me. Um, so I'm not feeling great about it, and I was especially not feeling great after I looked and saw Baltimore lets up the second most amount of points to tight ends. So that should have been a more friendly matchup. I think it's still early in the season, and I still think Baltimore's defense will turn it around. They just so traditionally have with John Harbaugh at the helm. But with all of that, even still said no. I'm really not that overall concerned moving forward. And that's because none of the foundational pieces in Detroit really have changed. Hawkinson is still the most talented pass catcher there alongside DeAndre Swift. Um, There's no amount of game planning that's going to change that talent reality. Now, this is assuming then rational coaching is going to take the helm. um, But not involving Hawkinson would be more than illogical. It would become a fireable offense should Detroit continue to lose games at the clip they're losing them at. Week three's output was bad for the talented tight end. I think week four should be better. Chicago is the 25th ranked pass defense going up against this. They lost last week. They should get him more involved. Um, I'm not concerned, but I am maybe holding my breath a little bit about Hawkinson being a world beater tight end or a real swinger for you. It might be one of the, yeah, you're going to get 15, 20 point games here and there, but his floor has proven to be lower than I think we expected it to be after the first two weeks. All right, moving on to the Chicago side of the ball, even though I don't really want to because Justin Fields, who I was calling a league winner at the beginning of this offseason, is really looking just trapped in this offense right now, and it does not look good. And I wanted to know, you know, we look at Fields. He looked bad last week. He looked bad in relief of Dalton and has looked god-awful in seven quarters. Nagy not being very creative. We saw only two design runs in week three. Foles and Dalton are both now being mentioned as possible starters. Uh, We knew that Cleveland defense was a bad start to the era, but we thought that maybe the rushing upside could carry him. We look at Detroit. It's the eighth best matchup for fantasy QBs. I'm just wondering if Nagy is going to screw this up because relying on Nagy to be the one uh, is not something that makes me confident in starting fields, but I don't want to leave fields on my bench for this great matchup either. I'm really stuck in this conundrum of do you start fields or not? I think it will depend on a guy like, you know, in a lot of leagues that I have fields, I also have Tannehill. You know, so I think I would probably start Fields over Tannehill without Julio and A.J. Brown, but that's kind of the borderline where I'm at with it. Austin, I want to go to you because we thought Fields would open up this passing game. We thought Robinson was going to be kind of matchup proof or volume, you know, dependent and, and be able to boost his value. But what are we supposed to do with Allen Robinson in this offense? 
Well, well, if you were if you were really feeling high about Allen Robinson, I think you should definitely make sure you're catching all of the Fantasy Whispers content because last week breaking down this situation, I talked about Robinson, and I was not looking forward. I did not recommend him um, last week as a viable start, but his talent is real. That's not going anywhere. Um, I think it'll pick up as the year progresses, but right now in this tumultuous in-between transitional phase possibly in Chicago, at least from the quarterbacking position, maybe from the head coaching position sooner or later, um, it's going to be tough for me to feel confident about Allen Robinson in such a tumultuous situation. Um, he continues, Allen Robinson, that is, to not be featured in the way I believe a true wide receiver one should be. Last week, he was on the field for 89% of the plays. Not bad, but Darnell Mooney was on the field for 98% of the plays. And Robinson just hasn't looked phenomenal, man. In PFF's wide receiver grade, he's the number 86 wide receiver. That's a lot lower than when you picked him up in the third, fourth, fifth round. As I said, I believe Allen Robinson is going to pick it up. It's almost impossible for him not to, but after the slow start, and then a slower start for Fields. It's really just difficult to predict when. I'm going to probably keep him in my flex going up against the worst pass defense in the league. But a horrible pass defense can keep a horrible offense at bay. And Matt Nagy looks to be driving a horrible offense right now, at least. Yeah, it's a cause for concern. But is it cause for enough concern, Johnny, for you to bail out of David Montgomery at this point? Because he's still getting great usage, just not part of a really great offense. Yeah, he's received 80% of the snap share over the last two weeks. Back-to-back games with four targets. You like to see that because there was some concern whether or not he was getting the passing work. Next three games, he should get back on track. Then he does have a difficult stretch uh, of games. I believe he plays the Rams in there or Tampa Bay. There are a couple of of difficult stretch games in there, but then uh, the schedule eases back up after their week 10 bye. this week. You're definitely giving me your lineup. Detroit giving up the fourth most fantasy points to opposing running backs. They have given up six touchdowns and three games to running backs, three rushing and three receiving. I'm definitely getting Monty in my lineup. And uh, I actually do think I think uh, Fields comes out and shows shows that uh, Fields magic that we saw in the in the preseason this week. Well, he's why I've, he's been a hold for me in a lot of leagues. I did go move in our league of record to move for Lance because I do think there's a path for Lance. Yeah, to I be saw that, dude. Up. Saw uh, that. But in most other leagues, I held on to Fields because of this matchup against Detroit. So we'll, we should know a lot more. Hopefully, if Fields can get the start, that's a big one which he should, and then plays Detroit here. So we'll see what happens there. We're going to move on to our final game of part one of the matchup breakdowns here. We've got the Buffalo Bills hosting the Houston, Texas. Johnny, the only thing we can look at and appreciate in the Houston offense seems to be Brandon Cooks. So I'll give you a moment to talk a little bit about Brandon Cooks and why he's been one of the fantasy darlings uh, in, in, in 2021. Yeah, I, I just want to just take a second and just apologize, you know, on camera. Looking, looking right in the lens here, saying, I apologize, Brandon Cooks, to you, sir. I, it wasn't that I was off of him. I should have been more on him. And <laughs> I, and for that, I, Brandon, I am. Does, uh, does Brandon Cooks want that? It maybe. I mean, he, <laughs> you never know. You never know, dude. Uh, Make sure you ask, though, I, consent hey, first. Yes, yeah, please. yeah, uh, exactly. But. This is it's just what he is doing right now is absolutely astonishing. Again, he is he is so quarterback proof. It's it's ridiculous. He might be the most quarterback proof wide receiver we have in the league. And we just don't talk about it because he keeps like being overshadowed by places he's going and other receivers he's playing with or the quarterbacks he's playing with. But it doesn't matter. 
because this guy continues to show up and show out. He leads the league right now in a target share, the whole entire league, all wide receivers in 37.6% of his team's targets. That's insane. Uh, only one game in which he's seen fewer than 10 targets this season. I do want to caveat all of that, though, with saying that the Bills give up the third fewest to opposing wide receivers, uh, third fewest yards, that is. Uh, and they have only surrendered one touchdown all season uh, to a wide receiver. Yeah, it's your boy. You guys want to take a Deontay Johnson is the only wide receiver that they've given a touchdown to all season. Uh, and one of five teams to do so, uh, only allowing one uh, reception. Johnny never misses touchdown. an yeah. opportunity never. to talk hey. highly of Deontay Johnson. I can't I always say hey, I don't get to talk about him because he was injured last week, so I had to bring yeah. him up. Uh, but so as far as Cooks goes this week, he is much more of a flex play because of the difficult matchup. Uh, again, well, this isn't you. just a difficult matchup either. Like this is, they are 17, nearly 17 yeah. point underdogs in this matchup to Buffalo. I, I don't that know if I've seen a line mean, this big before. It's New England a couple of years ago had one a couple of years ago. But like I said, when it's like that, you expect a lot of garbage time throwing. So he could make up some ground there Um, again. But Buffalo is a good defense. And if you have a better option, which you probably might and should because you grab Cook so late. Yeah, he was definitely one of those late round flyers that's turned into something good for you. Mm -hmm. Austin, can you sell me on anything else in this Houston offense? No. (laughs) <laughs> no. I didn't think no, I'll, 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 I'll elaborate a little bit more on that though. If we're talking about the halfbacks, we've got Mark Ingram, uh, David Johnson, and Philip Lindsay, and none of these three halfbacks has over 39% snap share. Look, in nine possible outings, three halfbacks, three games, only one halfback here has broken double digit fantasy points, and it took 26 inefficient carries for Mark Ingram to get to those 14 and a half fantasy points. There are bad teams left and right, such as the Jets or the Jaguars or the Giants, but none of them are as low on the talent and explosive gauge as Houston is as well. And that's really just not going to be doing you any favors from a fantasy perspective outside of Brandon Cooks, who I'm starting to see is like the new Danny Woodhead. Like this perennially underrated dude who goes everywhere, succeeds, coaches love him, does his role everywhere, a little bit undersized, so maybe a bit underrated on top of that, but just always does well wherever he's at. Problem with Danny Woodhead was that he was injury prone, and Cooks doesn't seem to – I mean, he does have the migraine issue or the the concussion stuff, but that's a different subject. All right, moving on to a different subject as fast as we can to a better offense. The Buffalo Bills is who we're going to talk about here. And Josh Allen finally had himself that day. We were waiting after the slow start. Uh, Five total touchdowns last week. Houston is a favorable matchup, but you could see something where Allen gets like scripted out of this. But the big thing we love about Josh Allen and, and that kind of situation is Buffalo loves to throw the ball even when ahead. They're number one in passing during neutral game script because they just love to pass the football to Stephon Diggs and now Emmanuel Sanders. Johnny, these weapons for uh, for Josh Allen are starting to emerge and, and give us some clarity on what he has there. Yeah, and you're definitely going to continue to see, you know, certain weapons pop off during certain games because they are so heavily passed happy they love passing with uh josh allen and they're going to continue to do it why not and you have wide receivers that you do and in, in buffalo you got Diggs, sanders and don't give me a game don't give me a vaccine beasley over there um i what i will say though uh is that Diggs 
26% target share that has come down from last year. Uh, but again, he should have better days. Uh, you can kind of buy him low a little bit right now. 84% snap rate, number one in air yards this season, which seems to show a little bit of a disconnect between Josh Allen and Diggs. But uh, because he's only 32nd in receiving yards on the season. So better days ahead for Diggs. They'll get on the same page. Uh, snap rate uh, is the same for Sanders. So that's what you like when you talk about picking him off off of waivers. Eighth in air yards, believe it or not, for Sanders. Yards per reception is number 15 in the league with 17.6. So he's got that big play potential. He hasn't seen more than eight targets in a game all but uh, or in back to back games yet. He's seen uh, six, six and then eight. So uh, we'll see if that volume uh, continues to uptick, which we should see. Uh, right. We talked about how much they are path pass heavy. But I do, you know, don't blink. All right. Don't blink or else you might miss it. Houston right now actually giving up the 10th fewest yards to wide receivers, ninth fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers as well. Because teams uh, can so, stop throwing on them after the first quarter. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But yeah, oh yeah, that could be a fair point, actually. So 17 <laughs> point, they're 17 point favorites, Buffalo is, which should mean what, Austin? Logically, we can invest in the running game here. We can say, hey, they're 17 point favorites. Who do I start out of these Buffalo backfield, uh, you know, compadres here in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary? So where are we at here with these backs, Austin? And which one would you suggest, if not both? I think Zach Moss had an important week three. He outran, outcaught, and outperformed Devin Singletary. We talked about this at the top of the year. Zach Moss measures superior to Devin Singletary in nearly every quantifiable metric that matters to fantasy football. And if rational coaching persists, Zach will move to the top of the halfback depth chart. 13 touches for 60 yards for Moss versus 11 carries for 26 in Singletary week three. And Moss had the better runs, not just the better numbers. Moss also caught all three of his targets for 31 yards. Devin Singletary caught one of his two for zero yards. Now, while Zach outperformed Devin in this game and also got the most opportunity for the season, this is the most important metric to me. The Bills out. The Bills played their best game of the season, hands down, getting that W. I just don't know why you would really start to mess with the settings after you hit it right by shifting to Moss in the last game where you had your best finish. He looked good. Y'all looked good. Looks like it's working. I don't know why you would move on from that. I like Zach Moss this week. I'd be sitting with bated breath if I was a Devin Singletary roster. Yeah, I think this is a situation where we can finally see the full takeover in a game where they're going to need they're going to just be running it probably when they're up so much. So we'll see if the usage comes in there. This could be the actual Zach Moss takeover. But I would also say also say on the, one of these games, we talk about this all the time in these presumed like blowout games. You right. might not actually get a true read of what this team would like to do. Right. Like, because somebody gets pulled. Right. And they're like, oh, well, let's keep Moss a little bit healthier here. We've got yeah. this game handled. Why do we need to put him? Yeah, that's true. The usage reach could be a little bit off here. I do still think that I believe with uh, believe what you're saying here is that you would tilt towards Moss being the start over Singletary. And I only hit this. I only hit this home because I have it in a personal league. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm asking for a friend here. And I think I will start uh, Moss there. But. And speaking of starting, we will now finish the matchup breakdown for part one here for week four. We appreciate you guys rocking with us. If you want part two, make sure you get that by subscribing anywhere you get your podcast or getting over to patreon.com and getting in one of those five or ten dollar tiers. You get that and so much more bonus content over there if you do that. If you want any other help with lineup questions, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube and tune in. 
an hour and a half before kickoff starts, or you can check the fantasywhispers.com, or I should say, and you can check the fantasywhispers.com for our weekly rank- rankings. For Johnny Game Time Hicks and for Austin Sear, I am Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. 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 Right here. Look at you go. You made it to the end of another one of our videos. Hey, if you still have some questions, I totally understand. Or you just want to join an awesome fantasy football community? Head on over to our Discord chat. Link is in the description below. And if you're still not sold on us, check out one of